And so what Pastor Tim asked, he said, hey, I really want to talk to the teens about anxiety, stress, depression, and all the things that go along with that. I was like, yes, absolutely. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So something that I've learned, though, in working with people is that most of us really struggle with being vulnerable, right? I mean, it's the idea of telling someone how you feel or saying, you know, hey, I'm having a hard time, I'm having a bad day. It's kind of awkward. It's kind of overwhelming to think about telling someone, this is how I feel, this is what I'm going through. It just doesn't really feel normal to us, right? But there's another layer to it. Because sometimes it's less about talking to someone how you, about how you feel, and it's more about saying, you know what, I'm not okay. And maybe that's just being honest with ourselves enough to say, I'm not okay. And maybe I don't even fully understand what that means, but I just don't feel right. Maybe I'm overwhelmed, I'm worried, I'm anxious, I'm sad. I, I can't even maybe put it into words. I just know that I'm not okay. But we struggle with that, don't we? Being honest about that because there's a deep fear of being known, a deep fear of being known. And what I mean by that is this, what if someone really saw you? And I mean all the layers of you, right? Like not just the parts that you want people to see because there's always, you know, the parts that we don't mind people seeing, you know, we kind of, you know, it's kind of like your Instagram, right? You let people see what you want to see on your Instagram, right? Your profile, you can be whoever you want to be on there. But if we were to peel back the layers and really look at what you think about, what you worry about, what confuses you, what, what upsets you, times you were rejected and you still hold on to that, times you were hurt, your wounds, your scars, if we were to really showcase that, what would people think of us? Would my friends not want to hang out with me anymore? Would my parents be disappointed in me? Would Pastor Tim not think that I'm a leader anymore? If any of them really saw what I was really going through. So tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we're going to primarily talk about anxiety tonight. Um, and then I hope you come back next week, because next week we're going to get into depression and all the things that go along with depression. So, you know... We know, right? I mean, I hope all of you by now, you're in high school, you know that we're going to have struggle in some way, shape, or form, right? Like, if you haven't had it yet, I'm, I'm just going to guess. We've all had struggle, right? I think I had some today, actually. I think it's almost a daily occurrence, right? There's some level of struggle, whether we wake up late, whether we, you know, get a bad grade on our homework, you know, there's a fight with somebody. There's always some level of struggle. And Jesus warned us of this himself, didn't he? He said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. But it's easy for, to forget that struggle is normal, right? Because we live in a broken and fallen world. But yet when we struggle, we usually feel like there's something wrong with us or we're the only ones, or we have to put on a mask and hide the fact that we're struggling. But Jesus never asked us to do that. In fact, he actually asked us to do the opposite. He asked us to be honest and be open about that. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So I want to back up and just start with a few basics, okay? So God made our emotions, right? You all know that. We learned that sometime in children's church, maybe, you know. So God made your ability to feel emotion. 
And not just the feel-good emotions. You can feel happiness, excitement, joy, all those feel-good things. But he also gave you the ability to feel fear, pain, stress, sadness, anxiety. Why? 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 Why in the world would God let my brain feel these things? Well, your emotions give you messages about yourself and about what is going on around you, okay? So for an example, fear. If I am walking in the woods and I come face to face with a bear, which hopefully none of us ever come face to face with a bear around here where we have bigger troubles. But if I did come face to face with a bear, my brain is gonna turn on fear. And fear is gonna tell me there's a threat, I better run, I better get out of the side of danger, right? So there's a healthy level of emotion that maybe alerts me to the something is wrong around me or maybe something's wrong within me. And so I need to pay attention to that, right? Now there's too much of anything is bad, right? I can go home and have some ice cream, but if I eat a whole half gallon of ice cream, probably not a good thing. So too much of any emotion is a bad thing. So we use the example of fear. Too much fear though will create anxiety. So I want to just define real quickly the difference between stress, anxiety, and depression, because we're going to talk about those um, tonight and to next week. So stress. Stress is when you feel like you don't have what it takes to get something done. It often is what we feel like when we feel like a task is too great for us, right? So like writing a 10-page paper about a topic that you really don't care about, right? That is stressful. Anxiety is a little bit different. It's a step up from stress. That's an abnormal amount of fear or worry. And a lot of times when we feel anxious, we feel the sense of like impending doom, right? And when we're anxious, we're fearful of the unknown. We're fearful of the future. We're fearful of the things that are outside of our control, okay? Depression. Depression is a persistent state of being being sad, often feeling hopeless and unimportant. And sometimes, although not always, depression can create thoughts of not even wanting to live anymore. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But I want to start with anxiety tonight, okay? So I have a few stats for you. So anxiety disorders are the most common mental disorder in in the United States, okay? So that means there's a lot of it, okay? In fact, 70% of young adults, okay, all of you in here are almost young adults. You're almost in that category, okay? And I would say if you're like 18, you are in that category. So 70% of young adults identify as being anxious, right? That means they're in that persistent state of worry and fear, that crippling doubt about themselves. Prescriptions for anti-anxiety medication have quadrupled the last 15 years in America. Quadrupled. I'm really bad at math, so I don't quite know how much that is, but it sounds like a lot, right? So this is a serious issue, guys. Our mental health is really going downhill. As we progress, you know, when technology and all this fun stuff, we are not, we are not progressing in our mental health. And in fact, the generations that suffer the most from mental health is my generation and your generation, right? So teenagers all up into, I am in my 30s now, okay? So this is a problem. So I was thinking the other day, the other day I have two children. And my daughter, she's six and she's in kindergarten. She's kind of fun and spunky. 
And the other day, she was asking me, Mommy, 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 what's after kindergarten? Well, first grade. What's after first grade, second grade, third grade? And, like, we're going through the exhausting list of, you know, how long until she gets to high school. But she's at that age where she's just interested. She wants to know. And she also wants to know what to expect, right? Then I started remembering being in high school. And, you know, 11th grade, 12th grade for me, um, early college years, and just having this, this just fear and this stress and this worry about, I don't know what to do next. Because all of a sudden, that map wasn't laid out for me anymore. It wasn't, you know, 11th grade, 12th grade, and then, you know, it was, oh, and then it's a, a blank slate. Good luck, you have to figure out the rest of your life. And that pressure, I remember, of just needing to know exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and how I wanted to go about that, I was so afraid of failing. Do you guys ever feel like that? I mean, I wonder if some of you in this room feel like that at all. You just have this pressure and this stress thinking about what does the rest of my life look like, right? I have to make all these decisions now you know, I was so excited to get to the end of high school, but now that I'm at the end of high school, I feel like I'm faced with another mountain, right? And so the unknown of that can create a lot of anxiety. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I think I might be anxious, but it's not about that. Maybe there's problems at home. Maybe there's problems at school. Maybe there's issues with friends. Maybe you have no idea what's causing you to be anxious, but you just feel like you're on edge all the time. So how do I know if I'm feeling anxiety? So I'm going to kind of explain to you what anxiety is, okay? Um, so we feel anxiety in our body just as much as we feel anxiety in our mind, right? So anxiety is a feeling, but remember what we said earlier, what do, what do our emotions do? They send us messages, right? And so those bodily sensations that you feel are messages that your body is giving you, telling you your anxiety level's going up, that adrenaline is going up, and maybe there's a threat of danger around you. So when I feel anxious, I might my hands might start to get sweaty. I might start to feel my heart beat a little faster. I might suddenly feel very hot, hot and very flushed. Might even get dizzy or lightheaded. My breathing might change, right? And that's how people have something called panic attacks. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of those, but if anyone has questions about those afterwards, I'd be happy to answer those for you. So you have the physical sensations going on. Okay, well, if that wasn't distressing enough, now I have to battle what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking in my mind. So anxiety is real. It is intense, and it can be confusing, and it can be crippling. But something very important to know that even though the feeling is real, the message that that feeling gives you is more often than not a lie, okay? And so that lie is usually, you can't do this. You can't handle this. This is too much for you. Did you see the way that she just looked at you? Don't you know? She, she's talking about you. You know, so anxiety often lies to us, and it tells us false things about what is actually fact and what is actually reality. And so then in our minds, we become just crippled with this fear about things that usually aren't fact, right? It's the what ifs. It's the unknown. And those lies are really hard to escape sometimes. Those anxious lies become our core belief about who we are. And what that means is that anxiety isn't just a feeling then, it becomes your identity, 
Does that make sense? Give me a nod if you're with me here. Okay, cool. So at that point, what that means is I am so in deep into my anxious thoughts like they are oppressing me and overwhelming me, that I'm starting to actually believe those lies that anxiety is telling me are true. So that's kind of what my identity becomes. Does that make sense? So what I love about being a Christian counselor is that I get to help people not only learn about how your brain works, but I get to help them learn how to fight it with truth, and that truth being the word of God. So anxiety and mental health in general, it's very, very spiritual, okay? I hope you know that. The devil does not want you to be confident. He does not want you to have peace. And so if he can sneak in and plant anxiety in your mind, and what is that anxiety? That is doubt. That is lack of confidence. That is you believing the lie that I can't do this. I can't. I'm not enough. I can't accomplish this. The worst thing's going to happen. If he can make, that, make you believe that, then you're paralyzed. You're stuck right? He doesn't have to worry about you rising up and doing any great thing or enjoying your life or doing what you were called to do. Oh, he has you right where he wants you. So have you ever thought, though, does God understand anxiety? Right? I'm going to be honest. I have had that thought before in my life. Does God even understand what I'm going, what I'm going through? Because I really feel like I am the only one who gets it. So no matter what you're going through, guys, whether it's anxiety, stress, depression, etc., it's important to know that God does understand. In fact, he understands more than anyone else. He understands more than any, any friend, any psychiatrist, psychologist, pastor, therapist, counselor. God gets it. And actually, I was thinking about this earlier on the way here. I was just kind of going over my notes in my head, and I was reminded of Jesus praying in the garden before he went to the cross. Do you guys know that, that story? Yeah? Well, I was reminded of the part where Jesus is praying, and he's pleading, and he's just in that moment, and he says, God, if it's your will, can you just take this cup from me? And I never really, that never really clicked in my mind before. That Jesus was the son of God, but he came and he walked on this earth as man, right? And so when he went to the cross, he experienced death as what? As a human. He felt that pain. He felt it just like you and I would if we were on the cross. And so in that moment when he asked God, can you take this from me? I really believe he was feeling that earthly, fleshly emotion, that anxiety, right? Because he knew the pain that he was about to face, and it was real. So battling these things, guys, it doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you unspiritual. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong or that something is wrong with you. It makes you human, right? So let's see what the Bible says about anxiety. And there's a lot. Actually, the Bible says a lot about anxiety. So I just picked out a few of my favorite scriptures. And one is Isaiah 41.10. And that says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I want to break that scripture down, okay? So the first part of that scripture said, Fear not, for I am with you. So God is saying right there that it takes one very thing to shake out fear. What is it? It's his presence. That fear has no place in the presence of God. Now, what I also like right here is that God was not dismissing fear. He was not, you know, saying it didn't exist. He didn't call it something else. He didn't say, you know, get over it, which is sometimes what we think in our brain, right? Like, I should just get over this. No, God 
identified fear. He called it by name. He said, fear not, okay? And the second part of that verse is, be not dismayed, for I am your God. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. God is saying, look, I know what you're facing is hard. I see your circumstance. I see your struggle and your confusion. I see your inward pain that maybe nobody else does. But you don't have to be dismayed. You don't have to be distraught because remember, I am your God, right? And the next part of that verse is, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Here, God is reminding you that he is strength and he is goodness. And you don't need to rely on your own abilities to overcome it because God is in control of the situation, right? I didn't write this verse down, but there's also a verse in the Bible that says he goes before us like a blazing fire. And when I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed, I often remind myself of that, right? 1 Peter 5, 6 through 8 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God, God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, it sounds real simple, like, cool, okay, let me just, you know, here you go, you know, and now, now I feel better. But I get that it's hard, guys. It's really hard. And when anxiety attacks, we can feel weak and we can feel shameful. Listen, I get it. My human reaction in nearly every situation in life is to be anxious. Didn't you just say that you were a therapist? Yeah, I, yeah, I did. I am a therapist. But I'm still human, and I still get anxious, Right? And for as long as I can remember, that has been my reaction. Whether it's to small things or big things in life, I kind of panic. And I fear the worst case scenario, and I just kind of cower down, and then I literally feel stuck. But what I've learned is that even though anxiety knocks on my door, I do not have to open the door and invite it to sit down. Right? I can say, no, thank you, not today. And I can dismiss it. One of my favorite passages of Scripture that reminds me that God wants to play, replace my anxiety with his goodness is Psalms 23. And I know we've all heard this before, right? So I know sometimes we tune out things that we hear a lot, but try to listen to it, okay? So Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and, they, and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness, mercy, and love will follow me all the days of my life. So the first part of that, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Let's interpret that, okay, to how we can apply that to us. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I have no need to fear being met, okay? Everything is met, all right? He makes me lie down in the green pastures and leads me beside the quiet waters. He takes me from a place of chaos is what we can translate that to. He takes me from a place of chaos and confusion and to a place of stillness, peace, and calmness. The next one, he refreshes my soul and guides me along right paths for his name's sake. What does that mean? It means that I don't have to worry about the course of my life or my future, even though it may be very unknown and very scary to me because God directs my paths. The next one, even though I walk through the 
darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So I can take that and say, there is no loss, no pain, no circumstance, nothing that is too great for God to handle, right? Nothing scares him. Nothing I face is going to scare him, right? He's got it. And the last part of that verse, surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. And surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, not just once, not just twice, not just when I really, really deserve it, all the days of my life, right? So I want to kind of shift, and I want to talk about your thoughts, okay? The thing that happens up here. So your life will go in the direction that your thoughts go. Does that make sense? So what you're thinking, what you think about yourself, your abilities, your circumstances, the life that you have, well, that is going to direct the course of your life, right? So if I'm full of just negative, self-defeating, sabotaging thoughts, then my life is probably going to reflect that, right? If I'm full of bitterness and evil and angry and strife and all those kind of nasty thoughts, my life is also going to reflect that. But if my thought life is full of peace, right? If I'm striving for peace, if I'm, if I'm striving for my thought life to just reflect the mind of Christ, then my life is going to reflect that. So think about the fruit of your life that you're striving for and then think, does my thought life match what I'm trying to achieve? Because if it doesn't, then we probably need to fix it, right? So when anxiety attacks, an army of negative and self-defeating thoughts come to wage war against you, right? They're coming against your confidence, your self-image, your peace. And part of this is our brain trying to balance out one another, okay? So I'm going to go kind of nerd for a minute, okay, guys? So hang with me. So remember when I said anxiety is kind of that, fear response in your brain, right? It's like an alert, an alarm is going off. And so when I am anxious, my brain goes into this fight or flight mode, okay? Meaning there is a perceived threat, there is perceived danger, and the part of my brain that does that is called the amygdala. And then there's another part of my brain that is the logical, more rational part of my brain, and that is called the prefrontal cortex. Okay, you with me? All right, let's keep going. So a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I don't even remember, my husband and I, we were in a sound sleep, and we were woken up by the sound of shattering glass, okay? Like, shattering glass. You remember this. Was it a few weeks ago, a few months ago? I don't know. Anyways, it was frightening. So I wake up to that sound, and the amygdala, right, in my brain is screaming inside, you're all going to die, right? Like someone has broken into your house, like go grab your children, jump out the window, like you're all in trouble, right? Well, then the logical side of my brain kind of tries to balance that out a little bit and says, no, just go send your husband out. Find out what's wrong. (laughs) So my logic was better him than me, I guess. No. (laughs) Right? And and it's you know, it was fine. It was just a picture in our bathroom had fallen down and the glass had broken. But, you know, you guys have been in a situation like that before, right? Where you're startled or you're thinking about something, you know, you're just triggered in some way by fear and you have this (gasps) response, right? And so when we have that response, like I said, that is the moment when that flood and that army of negative thoughts and that worst case scenario comes, The funny thing about our brain is that in a lot of ways, it's wired to work based off of our experiences. Does that make sense? So in certain situations, 
your amygdala or that kind of annoying part of your brain that tells you danger, danger, danger can be overactive. So this is why some of us are anxious and some of us are not. Does that make sense? And so sometimes that's based on our experiences, okay? So I have another silly story. So I have a lot of silly stories, guys. But another silly story is when I was a kid, I was stuck in an elevator. It wasn't very long, but it was long enough to traumatize me. And to this day, when I get inside an elevator, I have this feeling. My husband thinks it's hilarious. He laughs and he smiles and he looks at me. I'm like, stop, just stop, just stop. So to this day, that part of my brain still says you're in an elevator, you're probably going to get stuck, right? And so maybe you've been in a circumstance before that has affected you in some way, whether it was something scary, something frightening, maybe someone rejected you, maybe someone yelled at you, maybe someone put you down, insulted you, maybe you were embarrassed, right? And so now if I'm in a situation that in any way, shape or form resembles that, what's going to happen? I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be overwhelmed because I've been there, done this. My brain is telling you we've done this play before, right? Like something bad is going to happen. So we talk a lot about your thoughts and kind of that whole thought process and therapy, right? And so identifying your thoughts, kind of trying to figure out what triggers that fear in me. That's a big part of overcoming anxiety, guys. You know what I think is cool, though? It wasn't a bunch of psychologists or scientists who figured that out, even though they think they did. You know who did? It was the Apostle Paul, right? So what the psychology world calls cognitive behavioral therapy, Apostle Paul, he called it heavenly thinking, being heavenly minded. In 1 Colossians 3, 2, he said, set your minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. And then in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, Paul said this, He said, be anxious for nothing, but by everything, but in everything, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. So the peace of God will guard your mind and surpass all understanding. Do you understand what that means? Because I think sometimes I have to remind myself what that fully means. So the peace of God will guard your mind, which surpasses all understanding, meaning things don't always make sense. I might not have the answer for how this is going to work out or how this is going to be solved or how this is going to be fixed. And guys, to be honest, there are situations in life that just don't get fixed the way we want them to. Things don't go our way. But that doesn't mean that we have to live in that fear, that anxiety, that doubt, that the oppression of that effect, right? Because what did we just say? We are heavenly minded, right? So don't undervalue how God can turn a situation around. God is not a God of the past. God is a God of today. Did you know that there's even scientific studies that say prayer can change your brain? That's kind of cool, right? But I don't know about you, but I can very easily devalue that in my life, right? Because maybe I don't feel the effect of that right away. I pray, I try to cast away this fear, I try to cast away this situation and what I'm feeling, what's going on inside, but maybe I don't feel the effect right away, right? I was actually talking to one of my patients today in therapy and I said this, I said, you're gonna have to act before you feel. 
You're going to have to act maybe before you even believe it. And the th- same is true for faith. My goodness, how many times do we have to step out and just believe and trust God even though you don't feel it? Are there even moments where maybe you're down here for worship and, okay, I'm worshiping God, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, praise God, but maybe I don't really feel anything. What does that mean? Or I don't feel anything as strongly, you know, as maybe I have before. What does that mean? So it's hard sometimes to get past that feeling, right? But just because you don't feel it doesn't mean that there isn't evidence that it's there and that it's working in your life, right? And so we have to remind our anxious brains that sometimes. So here's a question I want you to kind of ask yourself. Do I trust God with my worry? Or have I made worry bigger than my God? If I'm not casting my cares on God the way that he's asked me to, then I need to stop and ask myself, well, why? Why? Have I maybe never tried it? Okay, well, I should probably try it first. Okay, do I just have that doubt that it's probably not going to work anyways? God probably can't fix this, but God probably doesn't care, right? But I promise you that if you do what you can do and you ask God to do what he can do, you're going to see a breakthrough. Maybe not when you want it, maybe not how you want it, how you anticipated it, but I promise you, you will. You do your thing, God does his thing. It's a beautiful thing, okay? So God is faithful and he cares for you very deeply and he cares for every single part of you. And that took me too long in my life to really understand, to be honest. So I am going to be 33 next week. But it took me way too long. It wasn't in my teenage years. It was sometime in my late 20s that I finally clicked in my brain. God cares about every part of me. The wounded parts of me, the hurting parts of me, the scary parts of me. He cares about every layer of who I am. And he wants every part of me to be whole. And so I can show him my ugly, so to speak, right? If I can't show it to anyone else, I can lay it at the feet of God. And what we have to remember too, guys, is that God can't heal the things that we conceal. If we're holding on to it, if we're hiding it, we're holding it back, God can't touch it. So he needs us to do his part. So we might say, God, 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 why, why am I so worried? Why am I so pressed? Why am I so overwhelmed? And he's saying, well, I have been waiting for you to come. I have been waiting for you to drop this off, right? It's kind of like, you know, we have to drop off our uh, car tomorrow. It's like, drop off your car, you pick it up, it's a lot better. You know, so it's kind of like that. God's saying, drop it off, bring it to me. I can fix it. I will polish it up real nice for you. I have the answers. So do you trust God with your worry? So to wrap up, I'm going to go through a few just pointers of how should I respond to anxiety? Okay, so I've figured out, okay, yeah, that's me, Ashley. I have anxiety. Maybe it's not all the time, but I have some level of anxiety that's affecting me. What in the world do I do? Well, the first thing is don't ignore your anxious thoughts and feelings. Confront them, right? And we said that one of those verses where God called fear out by, by its name, right? Fear not. How many times have you tried to avoid doing a homework assignment or avoid doing a chore? Does it get done? It doesn't. So avoiding my emotions, is that going to make them, or my problems, is that going to make them go away? No, it's not. It might mean that I'm distracted from it for a minute, but they're not going to go away. In fact, avoiding how I feel and avoiding my problems will probably lead me down a road of seeking artificial comfort. Do you guys understand what I mean by that? 
So if I avoid the fact that I'm anxious and I'm overwhelmed and I'm worried, then I'm probably going to start to turn to the things I shouldn't turn to for comfort. Maybe I'm going to turn to drinking or drugs or partying or sex or pornography or just all those things that I should probably stay away from, right? But I'm hurting, and it makes me feel good for five minutes. Okay, that's artificial comfort. There is no lasting fulfillment in that, okay? So we don't ignore how we feel. We confront them. And remember that God wants to be your shepherd. The second thing. Identify what is making you feel anxious. So examine your life and say, okay, so what is the cause of this? So if I think about the moments when anxiety attacks, what am I doing? Where am I at? Is there a person that's triggering me? Is there an event that's triggering me? You know, what is going on here, right? So we have to kind of get down to the root of anxiety in order to solve it. So I will be honest with you guys. So my, my, my father passed away um, a few months ago. He was sick for a long time with cancer. And when in kind of the last weeks of his life into about the first month, month and a half after he passed away, I felt anxiety come on me in a way that I hadn't felt it come on me in probably about 10 years. So I used to have panic attacks when I would get in my car and drive for whatever reason. Never been in an accident, but it made me driving like on the interstate, it made me feel vulnerable. And it reminded me of other situations in my life where I felt very vulnerable and not so nice things happened. So when my father passed away, I would be driving on the interstate. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where did this come from? Like, I haven't felt like this in so long. And I would just start to have a panic attack again. And it was triggered again. And so I had to kind of trace it back and be like, oh, okay, Ashley, you got to figure out what is your brain doing here, right? What is triggering this? Why is this coming upon you? What does this mean? And so that's what we need to do because it happens to most of us, right? And so if you're having anxiety, you need to kind of look at your life and say, okay, well, what is bringing this on? What's causing this, okay? So the third thing is fight the lie with the truth, which is what we spent most of tonight talking about, right? So what does that mean? I apply scripture. And maybe I ask myself, if, I'm feeling, if I have an anxious thought, and maybe that anxious thought is, I am not lovable, okay? That's my anxious thought, I'm not lovable. So then I need to stop and ask myself, is there evidence that supports that? Like, is there, is there fact that says, I am not lovable? Most likely that answer is going to be no. Okay, then I can cancel out that thought. What's the new thought? What's the truth I can meditate on? I can meditate on the truth that I am lovable. You know what? I have this person in my life, and I have this person in my life, and you know who I have? I also have Jesus in my life. And I'm going to get into the Word. I'm going to get on my phone, turn on my Bible app, and I'm going to find out what he says about me. Does that make sense, guys? So I'm going to fight the lie that anxiety has told me about myself with the truth. And the fourth thing you're going to do is you're not going to give up because we don't get results like this, usually. If you get healing in a moment, that's awesome. But most of the time it's a process, and it's taking one step, one step, one step, right? So I have an analogy I like to use. Have you guys ever seen on the news or YouTube or something a house that was just completely destroyed by either a hurricane, a tornado, a fire, something, right? 
So before that storm came, the house was in pretty good condition. Like it was a decent house. There was really nothing seemingly wrong with it. But then the storm came and completely crumbled it. It's nothing but rubble. It is completely deconstructed, right? But what happens is someone comes along and they rebuild that house. And most of the time when that house is rebuilt, it's in a better state than it was before. It's shinier, it's newer. Maybe it has a cooler layout. It's usually left in a better state. So what does that mean? Well, even though I might feel deconstructed right now, meaning I feel like my brain is in a thousand pieces and my emotions are all over the place, that does not mean I have to stay in that state. Maybe I have to be deconstructed in order to be reconstructed, right? Maybe God needs to tear down the walls and he needs to rearrange some things in order for me to be the masterpiece that he wanted me to be all along, right? And so what I'm trying to say to you is don't look at your anxiety as, well, this is, this is just it then. I guess this is just how I feel. I guess this is just how life is. No, have a different perspective.